Great news, my cruciferous cousins. Plant Strong Foods is hosting a March Madness Meals and Minutes sale. Visit plantstrong.com and save up to 30% on every one of our ready-to-eat chilies and stews. It is the perfect time to stock up on these heat-and-eat tasty meal solutions. Having a stash in your pantry means you're never more than 90 seconds away from a satisfying meal. The sale runs through March 17th while supplies last. Visit plantstrong.com today. Hey everyone, I want to share this email with you. It's from Ruth Morrow and she writes, Hello Rip, I wanted to say thank you for producing your line of Plant Strong products. My husband and I have been dabbling with eating plant-based for a few years, but now due to a health scare and a cardiac intervention for my husband, we are all in. I love filling my pantry with your chilies and stews and batch cooking with all of your new broths. I look at the products as an investment in our health and I appreciate all you've created. Breakfast is always Rip's Big Bowl and we have your pizza every Friday night. We know that your products are actually helping us to heal our bodies and we love that they actually taste great too. I tell all of our friends to jump on the Plant Strong wagon before they need to. We have read the research and we listen to your podcast every week and are convinced this is our best chance to stop the progression of heart disease and to help us be healthy role models for our children and grandchildren. Keep up the good work, Ruth Morrow. Well, Ruth you have not only made my day, you have made the day of everyone on the Plant Strong team. It gives us so much pride to know that you are leaning on us as you look to turn around your health. These are the exact reasons we get out of bed each day and work to create all of these health-promoting products for people like you who want convenience and progress. Please keep us posted on your husband's health and let us know how he's doing. All of our products are available to ship straight to your doorstep. So if you or a loved one is recovering from a hospital stay, there's really no better gift than our ready-to-eat chilies and stews that you can just throw into a bowl, heat in the microwave for a minute and a half, and there you go. You got your meal. Nourishing meals that provide all the benefits of plant-strong living. What could be better? Check out our full assortment at plantstrongfoods.com. The key point of the book is that we need each other. Mm. It's not like this is a magic method that simply works on its own, but what it does is kind of invites people into relationship. And the truth is change is hard. Change is really hard. And you guys understood this before anyone by having these big events and conferences where people could come and be supported, right? That community is important and that this book is really a tool for people to work together. I'm Rip Esselstyn and welcome to the Plant Strong podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution 
to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. We've all heard the phrase, you can't change others, you can only change yourself. And I know it can be super frustrating when the people that we care about are behaving in self-defeating ways, especially with their health and well-being. And I've talked about this with lots of other guests on the Plan Strong podcast. And when we try to talk to them about it, we just start making things worse. So we tell ourselves it's impossible and then try and bite our tongues until, <laughs> until we feel like we're going to explode. My guest today, Howard Jacobson, is here to tell you and me, you can change people, not by force, shame, or guilt, but by becoming a supportive ally. You may know Howie as the longtime host of the Plant Yourself podcast. He's also the co-author of some really groundbreaking books, including Whole by T. Colin Campbell, Proteinaholic with Dr. Garth Davis, and Sick to Fit with Josh Lajani. His most recent book, You Can Change Other People, The Four Steps to Help Employees, Colleagues, even family up their game. Co-authored by Peter Bregman outlines four steps to helping people change. In this conversation with Howie, he helps us understand how we can help people get excited about the futures that they long for. Not only does Howie say it's possible, but it's often our responsibility. If you're a leader or manager in an organization, you need to get the people around you to act differently in order to accomplish important work. He also tells us that if you care about people around you who are suffering and not reaching their potential, eating poorly, not taking care of themselves, not exercising, it's your longing to want this for them and how he is here to help us understand how to make this happen. Let's create some long-lasting positive change in those we love. All right, Plant Strong listeners, I want to welcome you to another edition of the Plant Strong podcast. This week, I have a very special guest. I've actually known this gentleman, Howard Jacobson. You like to go by Howie, I take it? I'm, I'm, yeah, you're, I'm getting, you're... as I get older, I want a younger name. So I think that's <laughs> what it is. Okay, askhowie.com. So, uh, <laughs> but I have known Howie now for, I would say, since the first time you came to Plant Stock, which is the background here, and was that I think that was 2015, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds about right. And you and your family came to Plant Stock, and we had an absolute ball. You were one of one of our speakers, and you did a phenomenal job. I think, if I'm not mistaken, you had just finished being a co-contributor or author to Colin Campbell's book Whole, right? Right. And actually, when we when we met, I was working with Garth Davis on Proteinaholic. So when we met, which time? In 2015. You're, so you started working on Proteinaholic in 2015. Wow. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I met, I'm, thanks to you that I got the opportunity because I met Garth. Uh, so the time is a little, I met him at the, the seminar, the symposium you guys did in, in, in Austin, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And he kept getting up and, and like <laughs> yeah, ranting and raving, heckling speakers. I'm like, this guy's really interesting. Well, that's wild. So, you know what? So first, let me say, Howie has a new book that he has co-authored with Peter Bregman. This is it right here. It's called You Can Change Other People, The Four Steps to Help Your Colleagues, Employees, and Even Family Up Their Game. And I am so interested in, in hearing about this for a multitude of reasons, as you can imagine. But before, you have been pretty darn enthusiastic about all things in the plant-based space for how long? When did your plant-based journey begin? Well, my plant-based journey began in 1990. Um, I actually, it was like three weeks after my father died of a heart attack, I picked up John Robbins' Diet for a New America. And I had no interest in nutrition or health or ecology or any of that stuff. And I read that book and it really turned me around. And over the years, I would, you know, I'd fall off, I'd fall back on. Um, then meeting Colin Campbell and reading the China study in 2004 and then getting an opportunity to work with him in, in 2011. So it's been a long journey and it has not been perfect. <laughs> like I've, I would, you know, forget and life would, would get in the way. Yeah. Um, but I've, you know, I've been sort of circling the, the North star of whole food plant-based eating for 31 years now. Yeah. And then you even got a, uh, so you went to Princeton and then after afterwards you got a degree, was it in, in public health? Yeah. I got a master's in public health and a doctorate in health studies from Temple University. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously this is something that has been, you know, very passionate within you and, uh, and has driven you to do all kinds of great things. I mean, in addition to, to working with Colin Campbell on Whole, you also have worked extensively with Josh Lajani. Yep. Uh, sick to fit. He's my boy. <laughs> he is your boy. Uh, he is. And then obviously Garth Davis and uh, with, with Proteinaholic, which is... What a great title. That book is brilliant. And yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, you know, who came up with that, you or Garth, but, you know, congratulations on that because we are a bunch of proteinaholics in this country. Yep, yep. Actually, I don't think I've ever come up with a good title. <laughs> in fact, I remember a conversation with, with Colin Campbell where I told him that I thought Forks Over Knives was a silly title and it was never going to amount to anything. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, frankly, it's funny because I had Brian Wendell on the podcast and he was saying how he just felt like that was it. And he had to drive everybody on his team to kind of rally behind him on that because they were like, oh, no, this is this is not good. Right. Yeah. But it ended up working. You know, you, sometimes you never know till you throw it out into the universe. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, well, so why don't we. I mean, I'd love to uh, how we just dive into this new book that you wrote yeah. with Peter. And um, so, you know, I'm just going to read what you guys have here on the inside flap. And, and that is you can't change other people. You can only change yourself, which I'm sure if we were to ask 100 people walking into a Whole Food Market store, do you think you can change other people? They would say, no, you can only change yourself. But you, you guys say that that's a truism and... It's not true at all. So I would love to understand how I can change people and what are the four steps. And I don't have any idea where you want to start with this. 
Yeah, well, let's let's start with that idea that we can't change other people. So the truth is people change all the time on their own, right? They'll some, you know, people will pick up one of your books or come to an event and they'll change how they do things. Uh, people get married, they change jobs, they move. Like people don't resist change, they resist being changed. Mm. So that's the kicker. When we when we try to change other people and it feels like we're trying to take control, we're trying to take control away from them. We've got ownership. We know what they should be doing. Then it almost never works. And in fact, it, it damages the relationship. So I know like like so many people who, you know, that we work with have like they see the light. Right. And they get healthier. And the next the thing they want to do is spread the gospel to everyone they know. And especially, you know, their spouse or their kids or their siblings or their parents, people they really care about. And the way they can go about it is just going to create all this resistance. It's going to make you know, people feel like, you know, who are you to be telling me this? Or even if we tell people things that they already know, like, you sure you want to have that third bowl of ice cream? Yeah. Like, you know, just if you hear that, you're like, heck yeah. Right. Even, even, <laughs> right. Like, who are you to tell me you're not the boss of me? So when we said when I in the in the, the title, you can change other people, it really means not that we impose our will on them, but we can use techniques and approaches that allow people to make different decisions and engage in different behaviors that are more in line with their best interests, with their values, with their goals. And so instead, instead of trying to pull them in the direction that we want them to go, we have to give up some control and we have to trust other human beings that they kind of know what's good for them and we can help them get out of their own way. And that is, so I, I read the book from cover to cover and I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I read this and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I would have had this, you know, 10, 15 years ago, so many of my relationships, business relationships, colleague relationships, family relationships would be better off, right? Because as you said, you can't, you can't force anyone to change. And this to me is why step number one is so brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the crux of the whole thing. Do you want to just say what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Just, just to shift from a critic to an ally. And I have to say, like, start working on this book, I really began to understand more deeply what a critic is, because I thought a critic is someone who just criticizes, who just tells you what you're doing wrong, tells you what's wrong with you, nags you. But there's so many other ways to be a critic, which, you know, it's essentially the critic gives the message. I know more than you. Yeah. Yeah. So if I give you advice. I'm saying I know more you know, unsolicited advice, right? If someone comes to you and say, hey, Rip, how should I eat? They want to hear from you. But if you just go up to someone and say, hey, you know that, um, that meal you ordered, here's how you could do it better, right? You're, you're, they're hearing you as saying, I am superior. I know more than you. And you know, a lot of what we talk about in the book, like we've, we've heard at Plant Stock from people like Doug Lyle. Sure. Who sort of you know, brilliantly talks about how to lower your own status, um, which I had trouble with because I look, I've written books like, I'm, you know, or Colin Campbell or you, we're not going to just go around pretending, you know, we just heard this somewhere and hey, gee, it's working for me. Yeah. Right. But there's there's other ways to not be threatening in, in, in and one way is to 
um, is to say, I, I, I'm here to, I want to help you if you want my help, as opposed to, I know what's better for you than you do. Well, to me, that whole, you go into it and if you can get them to become your ally, and then there's obviously some techniques that you've you know written about to become their ally. And it's almost then like you form this partnership yeah. Right. To go forward and solve this issue, problem, uh, or change, whatever it is you're trying, whatever the end goal is. Right. And that's the thing. Like we think, so I, I can either like when people, you know, like if you have a spouse who's just not eating well and you're scared for them, you don't want them to get sick. You don't want them to die prematurely. And so all you know how to do is to, hey, do you want to try a vegan restaurant tonight or Hey, you sure, you know, maybe I can make you the, the forks over knives loaf instead of the meat, like, like right, all this stuff. And it, it's just leading to more and more conflict. You kind of, you, at some point you go, I either have to choose the relationship or the goal. Right. And so we give up. But the way that we're talking about actually prioritizes, privileges the relationship as the means to get to the goal. That without the relationship, you're not going to help them get there. Yes, yes. So, can you give us an example? Can you like role play? Like how, how, what would that look like? Yeah, sure. So it depends. So, you know, if someone comes to you and they're, they say, I, Hey, I need help with this, then it's easy. Right. Yeah. It's, it's when, when, you know, so let's talk about when, when you have to initiate. So one, one way to do it that I like is, is to wait for what we call a silver platter opportunity that when the person just complains, right. So if, if someone happens to say, Oh, you know, it's so hard to get up off my chair or, I've got heartburn again, or, you know, any yeah. sort of complaint, they, they don't, they're not complaints mean we're not taking responsibility for solving it. We're just sort of staying what's wrong. So a lot of coaches really don't like hearing complaints because it feels like people are, you know, not stepping up. They're not, you know, taking agency for their lives. I love complaints because it's, it's a, it's a way in. And so the, so the, the, the process here is to first empathize Right. Boy, that sounds re- that sounds really hard. That's oh, I can imagine. Or, yeah, you know, I've I've had a bad back. I know how that feels. Or, yeah, it's so hard to be positive when your stomach's upset and like some truthful empathy. Next, express confidence in them. Right. You know what? You've you've handled you've handled lots of challenges. I, I know you can get through this. Some something of that nature. And, and, and you're not lying when you say that, because when you think about it, if you didn't have confidence that they could change, you wouldn't even be involved in the conversation. Like you just wouldn't waste your time. So the fact that you want to help them change means you're, by definition, confident that they can do it. Mm-hmm. And then the third step is to ask for permission. Right. So and, and the way the, the phrase we've come up with, that seems to work better than the other is something along the lines of, would you like to think this through together? Mm. Right. As opposed to, would you like my help or would you like some coaching on it? Because like thinking it through together really positions you as a partner, as the supporter of their thinking. And it uh, it signals that they have all the ownership. It's going to be their thinking and you're just going to be a partner with them. It is such a beautiful jujitsu move. It truly is. <laughs> and, and, and But but it's in its. But it's coming from the right place, right? And well, but, that's yeah. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, it's coming from the right place, and we're just so 
conditioned for whatever reason that, as you said in the very, very top of this, we don't mind changing, but we're not going to change if somebody else is trying to make us change. Yeah. And people can feel very bad about wanting to change their spouse, right? We can, like, oh, I keep on saying that thing. I keep on criticizing my child. Like, oh, I don't like who I am when I do this, but I just can't help myself. So like what you said is so beautiful that we're coming from, we have, we're coming from the right place is important. And in our formulation, everybody's always coming from the right place, right? We want them to change because we love them. We care about them. We want them to be healthy. We want them to be well. We want our children to have parents. We want, right? So, so one of the things we ask people to do is get in touch with your own positive intention. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, like, so if you've been beating yourself up, oh, I'm such a nag, I keep doing it. What matters to you, right? That anytime we, anytime we get upset for any reason, it's because a value of ours is being threatened. So if I look, if I read the newspaper and I get upset at a headline, it's because there's something I care about that's at stake, right? So first acknowledge that in ourselves and then look at the other person with the same eyes. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care what your bad habit is, you're doing it for a good reason, right? People who eat really junky food, they're doing it to feel better in the moment. They're doing it because there's an addiction that tells them, this is how I feel good. This is how I get to be okay, right? And being okay and feeling good and feeling love and feeling connection our human birthrights, they're extremely valid. So there's, there's no dysfunctional behavior that we can't look at and say, this is a misguided attempt to get something good. And once we can see people in that light, it becomes much easier to do those, those three steps, empathy, confidence, and permission, without trying to fake it. And, and, and one of the things you also talk about under um, shifting from the critic to the ally in, in, um, in the first step is how you do not want to rely on your position of power to try and make this change. That's just going to backfire. Right, right. Because often we have less power than we think we do. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, even and even so you know, the, the book is, I, from my perspective, I wrote it from my experience in helping people make health changes and life changes. My co-author, Peter Bregman, is an executive coach. And so there's a lot of business in there. And so you can say, well, if you're the boss, you obviously have all this positional power. You can just tell people what to do, right? If that were true, I mean, you're, you know, you spent your life in business. Do you, do you find that bosses can tell people what to do and that means it gets done or it gets done the way you want it to? No, absolutely not. Right. So, you know, positional power becomes a crutch when we, when we, and, and when you have positional power, you can get people to do things but they're typically going to do the minimum, yeah. right? They're like there's in, in organizations where people don't feel valued and they don't feel like they're, they belong, they're by definition, they're basically doing just enough to not get fired. So uh, anything else you want to talk about on step number one? Um, yeah, you have to be willing for them to say no. Hmm. Like, no, I don't want to think it through with you. And then what do you do? Right? Just step away? Well, or- you step away at that moment. I mean, I will say great, that's fine. If you, I'm here if you want me. Right? And I find that a lot of the time, especially, and here, I'll, I'll share one other thing about this step. Which, so, but especially if you have a long history of conflict over this issue, 
Like, like you, you're, you're the person who's gone to plant stock four times and you drag your spouse the last time and they're like, oh, what is this big pile of green stuff? And they're just like not enjoying themselves. And, you've, and you know, you're like, it's become a real sore point in the relationship. Um, when you say, oh, that's fine. We don't have to talk about it. I don't need to think it through with you. For the first time, they're getting a message that you are honoring their own autonomy and their ownership. So that in of itself can lead them to then say, you know what, later on, like later that day or next week or next month, you know what, I do want to talk about this with you, All right? It's because they're, they're not feeling threatened and they're not feeling shame about it. Yeah. So that was the other thing I wanted to say is if you've been in this long, intractable fight with someone, right, what you're asking of them is to be vulnerable. When, some, when, when someone's going to change, they have to be vulnerable. Yeah. So you go first and you, and you could say something like, hey, you know, I, ha- I don't think I've done this well. I feel like I've been hard on you and I've been nagging and it hasn't helped. And I'm sorry. You know, I've, I, I know why I did it and you probably know why I did it too, but that doesn't excuse it. And I just, I want to apologize and I want to commit going forward to not trying to be, you know, this bully or trying to constantly change you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. And just saying that, oh. like you can imagine a lot of conversations could then, oh, well, you know, I know you're trying to do good and I would really liked it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so that's 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 wonderful to show that vulnerability, to apologize. And then I think it opens up that door for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and so I, you know, a big part of this process, you know, the, the title, you can change other people might indicate that we have some sort of control, but paradoxically we get the, have the greatest influence when we completely give up control. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cause well, give up the illusion of control. Cause we never had control in the first place. What about uh, step number two? Yeah. I love step number two. I love all the steps. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like when you introduced me as a very special guest, like you've, I, I, I want to hear the person you said, today's guest isn't very special. <laughs> I don't, uh, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. You don't say very special all the time, but you are, <laughs> you are a very special guest. I, I appreciate so Let's, that. let's, let's find the positive outcome, shall we? <laughs> positive outcome. Very good. You, you have read this book. Hmm. Um, so when someone says yes, like they want to think they're, I'm willing to think it through with you our minds immediately want to jump in and like solve the problem, right? Because our minds love problems. We love to solve problems. In a relationship, we love to be smart. We love to be helpful. And that's why the second step is to, to wait. Don't jump into the problem, but instead ask the person sort of what, what would you like to happen? What's, what's an energizing outcome? Because if we, if we dive right into the problem, They've been dealing with this problem maybe for decades, right? Everybody's been on 20 diets. Everybody's read all the books. Everybody's tried stuff. And so if we're just going back into solving the problem, we're probably not going to have any new ideas. And there's still, when we think about problems, we're still sort of in fight or flight. It's a thing I want to get away from. So instead we say, what would you like to have happen? What would be a great outcome for you, if you could solve this exactly how you you want to solve it, what would that look look like? What would that do for you? How would your life be? So can we so so to, to put this in like to frame it up in a context? Can we give an example of let's just say we have somebody who's three hundred and ten pounds and they've got elevated cholesterol, they've had a heart attack, 
Okay. Right. Let's just use that as the Okay. If you're if you're okay with that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. So keep going. So we're trying to find an energizing outcome to this problem that this person has had. Let's just say his name is Jim, that Jim has had for, you know, a good twenty years. Right. So we're gonna unrelate it to the problem. Okay. We're not gonna worry about the problem now. We say like, Jim, what what's what would you like to have happen? What would what would a great outcome be? Well, I'd love so to. Jim I'd is, love to get healthy. I'd love to get healthy, and I'd love to lose the weight. But I've tried every every diet under the sun, and nothing seems to stick. So I don't even. Yeah. You know, I'm frustrated. Right. Yeah. How yeah. Is, I hear your frustration, and I hear your self doubt. That's well. We can deal with that later. Right now. So first of all, uh, uh, out of scene, Rip. What you did was. <laughs> more advanced than most people are going to do, right? Okay. You're like, I just want to get healthy. Most people are going to talk about what they want to avoid. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. Okay. I want, I want to stop taking these meds. I want to stop shooting myself up with insulin. I want to, yep. right? So getting healthy, but even losing weight is a kind of like, an, I want to avoid being fat. Yeah, yeah. Right, so we, then we can, so that's great. So then we say, great, what would, you know, okay, I hear, I hear all those doubts. But like, what would that do? For, what would your life be like? Imagine, you know, it's a year from now and you've lost that weight and you're healthy. Tell me, what would, what would you do with that life? What would you do with that body? My gosh, I wouldn't be going to the doctors you know, once a week. I could, I could hit the broken spoke dance floor that I, I love dancing, but I haven't done it in years. Um, you know, my confidence is so low and I'm, I'm so overweight. I'd love to get off the medications. I, I just love to get, I, I don't have a life. I don't have a life, mm. Howie. Wow. I, I hear how, how much this means to you. And I can, I can totally understand if when the stakes are so high, you really don't want to like, put yourself out and get disappointed. I totally get that. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds like, like what, so getting your life back and you know, going to the broken spoken dance thing, yeah. like, what would that do for you? I mean, you just, you, your face just lit up when I, when I just repeated back to you. What, what, what comes to mind? Like, what's important to you about that? Oh, you know, I'm... I, it brings me so much joy to be able to hear music, to move on the dance floor with a partner, you know, doing, doing the cotton eye Joe, whatever it is. Mm. I mean, that's what I'd like to do again before I die. I really mm. would. Yeah. So when you mentioned a partner, it sounds like, like connecting with other people is important to you. You know what, Howie it is. And I just, I haven't connected with anyone really since I started gaining this weight. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, so can we cut? Yeah, absolutely. And, and absolutely. De- and debrief. Absolutely. Rip, I just want to give you a, your 350 pound self a hug right now. Yeah, thank you, Howie. <laughs> um, right. So, so when we're talking about an energizing outcome, we want it to be positive. Yeah. So you can see the difference between I want to get healthy and lose the weight. Get healthy is sort of positive, but it's also vague. But when, as soon as you talked about dancing, right, like yeah. there's somewhere to go. Explore that. What is that? What would that do for you? And I got to this idea of connection. Yeah. So Jim is lonely. Jim is ashamed of himself. Jim is shut away. And connection with others seems to be like a huge value, right? So, so now, like, like goals are great, right? It's great to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm 350 pounds. I want to be down to 210 pounds in a year. Like, that's fine. The trouble with goals, though, is when they're in the future, they can actually be demotivating because mm. they seem so far away, just as Jim, you as Jim, you know, as soon as you said what you wanted, you immediately felt the low energy. Like, I can't have it, right? So 
I like to use goals to establish what their values are, like what really matters. Jim really wants to participate in life and connect with other people. So now, so that's the energizing outcome. Yep. So now we can talk about the third step, which is to find a hidden opportunity. And the idea is that the goal, you can't have the goal now. All Jim can do now is not enjoy food as much, right? Pain now for pleasure later. It's not a real great equation for, for the human mind. But when we bring it, we talk about like what he, the real, the real outcome is I want to connect with people and come to life. Now the opportunity is how can you do that today? How can you do that right now in a way that is going to be relevant to the problem? How can you use the problem of, let's say, you know, I'm, I'm just eating really poorly. I'm making terrible food choices and I'm inactive. How can we use that problem to achieve the outcome, right? Because just getting Jim healthy doesn't solve the problem necessarily of connection, right? Jim can sit in his room and walk on a treadmill and, and order in freezer meals, right? But now, if Jim, so, so maybe Jim's going to find uh, a walking buddy, right? And say like, okay, so I have all these fears. I'm terrified of how people will judge my body. And I want to live my value now. So I'm going to learn how to, to, at the same time as I'm feeling this fear and shame around judgment, I'm going to go walk on the, you know, walk around the town with a friend. Um, I'm going to start changing my diet. And now when I get those cravings, I'm going to think about not, will I can, well, am I going to lose 140 pounds or, but I'm going to think about how does the me who wants to be engaged in life and connected to other people eat, mm. right? So much, so much of our bad eating is secret eating, right? So we can talk to Jim, like, is, is any of your, you know, are you, are you binging in private? You know, trying to be good publicly, right? So those are opportunities to then say, let's talk about connection. Let's talk about your values, the person you want to be right now. And yeah, you're going to, it's going to, it can be hard. Right. You're going you're going to be fighting stuff, but you'll be doing it in, in, in the pursuit of these values. You can live now as opposed to some fantasy body you may or may not ever get. So when you say we're, we're like we're trying to find the hidden opportunities, I think you have very in a very slippery way. You've moved on without letting me know to step number three. Uh huh. Yeah. OK. OK. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And that's and that's but I like step two, like when they come up with this energizing opportunity, it very naturally leads to yeah. instead of now we're not like most of the time when we when we say here's the opportunity. Solving the problem doesn't get us there. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's the positive of the negative. Right. Solving the problem gets us from a negative to zero. But now when we got this energizing outcome, we actually want to do better than that. Mm. I don't just want to be off my diabetes meds, I want to be living a great life connected with the people I love, doing the things I love to do. That's a much deeper, richer reason to, to, to move in this direction. Yeah. And, and because it's going to get hard because he's, you know, Jim's going to go out and he's going to smell delicious foods that he's become habituated to. And he's going to have to say, you know what, the opportunity here 
is for me to live this value of being engaged in life. Like probably most people who eat a lot of junk food are doing it to satisfy an emotional itch in the moment. Right. I don't feel, I don't feel good about myself. I'm unconnected. Right. So as long as we're eating our emotions, we never have to face those emotions. So the opportunity is now I'm feeling lonely. Jim's lonely and Jim's been solving loneliness bite by bite with junk food. Now Jim gets to face the loneliness and say, the only way to solve this is with other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's the, the opportunity in every moment that he wants to binge, every temptation, every craving, is it now an opportunity to choose connection over you know, pacification. Mm. Mm. Nice. Anything else in step number three, finding that hidden opportunity? Yeah, there's, there's lots of different types of hidden opportunities. Yeah. So very often the opportunity might be something like, um, this is a symptom of a larger issue, right? So, you know, we see this a lot in, you know, in organizations that let's say there's a, you know, there's a team and one of the people on the team is, um, is being very belligerent. And we say, well, what we need to do is fire that person, right? Then we've solved the problem. But if we say, what do I really want? Well, the opportunity is a really high-performing team, and a, a high-performing team is one in which we can, we can respectfully share opposing points of view. Then that person can become an opportunity. Like, the problem isn't that person. The problem is no one else is raising difficult issues. So they're, they're the lightning rod, but they're not the entirety of the problem. Right. Like, and I think the example in the book was Ramona. Wasn't Ramona the one that was? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, she was actually, as it turns out, she was kind of a little bit belligerent, but it's because she had the courage to basically raise her hand and say, hey, I, I want to question this. And, uh, and, and her team members, her, her colleagues didn't like that. Uh, but then when you press them, really press them, what is it that you want? You discovered that, you know what, Ramona is, there is a lot of great value in what Ramona brings to the table and, and so the issue was not really Ramona. It was kind of the way that they communicated and where they needed to go as a team. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so very, very often the thing we think of as the problem is actually, it's like the, you know, the leaves on top of the big tuber on the bottom, like, yeah. like, oh, this is actually, we, we can actually solve a much bigger, more important problem by, by addressing this. Um, another is very often the opportunity is to, ch- to grow your self-identity. So I don't know how, how often you hear from people why they can't be healthy because of some characteristic of theirs. I just have a sweet tooth. I'm mm. not a morning person. Well, Rip, I'm not as, I know, I'm, I'm not as uh, self-disciplined as you are. Well, you know, and people, you know, people go, people go to plant stock and they go, well, the, the Esselstyns just have this incredible genetics. Like they're just lucky. And then you hear the, you hear the talk about, you see the slide with like the 43 diseases that run in your family. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's rampant. <laughs> right? It's rampant. Or at least I should say it, it was rampant until, uh, I think, you know, my parents, Anna and Essie kind of, and they're through their legacy and my father's work were able to kind of able to put a halt to the standard American diet and what was going into the Esselstyn mouths. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and at some point, both of them had to face limiting beliefs. Yeah. 
right? They both had to, like, they had ideas about who they were and what was important. And in order to become the people they've become, or even to adopt the diet they adopted, they had to grow out, they had to challenge those beliefs, right? And I remember that, you know, the story of your dad with the Reese's peanut butter cups. Yes. Like that was like his, his last holdout. Yeah. New Year's. <laughs> right? <laughs> So, so, you know, clearly there was struggle there. It wasn't just a simple matter of snapping his fingers, even though, you know, people look at him now and go, well, he's got more willpower than anyone. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, so if someone has like this belief about themselves, well, one, you know, a really common belief that people will come to plant stock with is, well, I've, I've been on diets before and I, they all failed or I just can't stick to it. Mm -hmm. Right. So every time someone slips up is an opportunity either to reinforce that belief or to get up again and say, oh, things are different this time. Last time I did Atkins and I had that donut, I just threw the book away. Yeah. This time I'm, I'm doing uh, Engine 2 and I went and had a cheeseburger and I put it down after half of half eating half of it and I got back up and I'm moving forward again. That's different. You, you, you've done such a great job you and Peter, uh, in each one of the steps, doing many chapters that kind of drive home what it is that you know you're you're, you're and giving examples of how to do it. And I know it's it, it's hard in you know a, in a, just a, a forty five minute podcast to uh, kind of get all that that in. But are you are you saying that people should buy the book? Really? I'm saying that people definitely should buy the book, no doubt about it, <laughs> because because it so helps to read all the examples that you have and the tools that, that you guys lay out there. What about you? Do you want to talk about step number four? Yeah. Yeah. Step number four is the difference between, you know, insight and action. So step four is the plan where we say, OK, so what's what's going to actually happen. So once, once we have this new opportunity, so if Jim is saying, well, let's see, I, I, I can now, every time I have the urge to eat my loneliness away, I'm now going to try something else. I could, I could call a friend. I could do a zoom call. I could go out and have a walk with someone. I could read a book, something that connects him. They um, said, okay, well, let's, let's make it real. What, 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 what might you want to do? We could talk about like different options. Um, and you're know, always we're sort of keeping the ownership in the other person's court if we're trying to help them. So, you know, what might you do now? And Jim, all of a sudden, instead of saying, well, I'm just going to muscle through and I'm, yeah, I'm going to get the, the, the flat, you know, the vegan pizza instead of the cheese pizza. Now it's like, okay, I'm going to do this and here's how I'm going to do it. And we are like, what would you like to commit to? So we want, though, what are you going to do by when to choose an option and commit to it? And the most important thing, we call this the uh, create a level 10 plan. And we call, and it's level 10 refers to when we ask the question, how confident are you that you're going to follow through yeah. on this plan? We want them to say 10. And, in, and, in, and, and, and let's say they say six or seven or eight. Do you keep pushing them until they kind of get to that 10 and what they need to do to get there? Yeah, I don't push them, but yeah. I explore it because, right? So my my superpower is always going to be curiosity and empathy. Ah, so good, good superpowers, like, right? Yeah. So if somebody if somebody says, "Well, no, I, you know, actually, I'm only at a six. I really don't. I really, you know, coin coin toss whether I'm really going to do this." Mm. Say, great. 
what's getting in the way, right? Because may, you know, maybe he can't go 100% tomorrow. Maybe he has to, to stepwise it. Or maybe there's some things we can talk about. But you, I, I, the most important thing is that somebody takes positive action so that they get new results. Mm. Even if the only thing they're going to do is meatless Mondays, right? There was a wonderful, at that, at that Austin symposium, there was a wonderful debate between two of the, the speakers about meatless Monday. And, and they were both exactly right, right? <laughs> One person said, it's complete BS. It's not going to make a difference. We have, we're facing a climate emergency and, we, and meatless Monday is, uh, is just window dressing. And someone else said, behaviorally, meatless Monday is the first step that most people are going to take on their way to becoming fully plant-based and embracing it. They're yeah. both absolutely right. Yeah. So I want people to take the first step and learn from it. So that's why we talk about follow through rather than success. I don't care if you succeed or not. I want to, I want to know that you're going to follow through and we're going to treat this as an experiment. So you may do it. You may fail. You may lose five pounds. You may gain three pounds. But we're just all this, you know, if people are just pragmatic about what am I doing and what is it getting me? And we adjust accordingly. Like that's like the secret of success is no more complicated than that. Do stuff, see what happens and do it again differently. Right. And then, and then what course correct and just do it again. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. And you guys under that create a level 10 plan, you know, you guys are really adamant that you just, you got to commit to the plan, commit to it, make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would rather someone commit to, I'm going to have 20 diet sodas this week instead of 21. Yeah. Like, cause the, the one time, if they have it three times a day, every meal and on Thursday lunch, they don't have it. They are going to learn something new about themselves. And all of a sudden they're a slightly different person. So instead of saying like, okay, I want you to jump to the top of Everest, maybe you're going to walk. And each individual step doesn't seem daunting, but step-by-step step is how you get there. So I want the person to experience success. I want them to experience the need for emotional courage, right? Because if you're addicted to a substance, and however we, we want to understand that word addicted, but basically you go to it whenever you feel bad, that you're going to have to be willing to feel bad. Right. There is no engine two recipe that can that can solve, you know, emotional unhappiness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Engine two recipes can make your taste buds happy and they can fill you with nutrition. They are not going to solve your emotional problems. Right. And neither has sugar, by the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I mean, that was your, that was your career. Wasn't it? I, I don't think I ever saw a picture of a triathlete in competition who looked like they weren't in pain. Very rarely. Every once in a while you had that race where, you know, you kind of felt like you were hovering outside your body and it was like complete nirvana, but very few and far between for sure. And, and I would argue that you only get those moments because yeah. you're putting yourself in discomfort all the other moments. Exactly. Exactly. Anything else you want to say about the four steps? Anything that we anything that we left out? Um, no, I think we covered it all. I think the only the only thing I want to say is that um, 
what I discovered, and Peter and I both discovered this, and we didn't tell each other for a while because we were embarrassed. We both tried the four steps on ourselves, yeah. and it didn't work. And we were like, oh, gee, what's wrong? But then it works so well with other people. And what we realized is like the key point of the book is that we need each other. Mm. It's not like this is a magic method that simply works on its own. But what it does is kind of invites people into relationship. And the truth is change is hard. Change is really hard. And you guys understood this before anyone by having these big events and conferences where people could come and be supported. Yeah. Right. That community is important and that this book is really a tool for people to work together. So if I have something I'm working on, I give a copy of the book to someone that I want to help me. And right. I say, you know, take me through this because life is hard. We're living in particularly challenging times right now. We need each other. Yeah. And so I hope I hope what this book will do is give people a tool to approach each other as allies and create that world. So if so, do you? So let's say that there's somebody in my life that that I want to change, right? Using these these principles in the book, do you recommend that I also like? Should I get the book for them so that they're on the same page, or is it better when you're doing this and they're a little bit oblivious to what you're how you're doing this? I don't think it, I, I don't think you have to be, they, they could, you need them to be oblivious. Like I, this isn't like a secret, um, right. you know, Jedi mind trick that you're doing on people. However, I do find when people give me books that I can, I can, depending on the, the like read this or yeah. you've got to watch that video. Like I, there can be some resistance. I would start with just, you know, getting permission. Hey, want to think this through with me? When they say yes, you can say, you know, I'm reading a book that's kind of like, I'm, I'm new at this. So I'm reading a book. Would it be, you know, I just want you to know, I want to follow the process in here because it seems really nice. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't pretend that you're, you know, Svengali or some um, magician. I think you can be as transparent as possible. You could certainly, you know, certainly say, you know, like I, I've been, you know, I coach people on this all the time and I have, my my cheat sheet. I have two pages of right, right, crib right. sheet on my own process. Yeah. So so I don't forget anything. Yeah. So I think again, it's part of being vulnerable and just being you know being honest and open and transparent. And I think that will, you know, you want the person you're talking to to be honest and transparent as well because they're going to have to admit to things that maybe they didn't want to admit to you. Yeah. In the uh, the dedication to this book, both you and Peter dedicated it to your fathers. Yeah. And and um, in your dedication, you said, Dad, you showed me how to be a warrior for positive change and a steadfast champion of the underdog. You know, this book, I mean, the whole purpose of this book, as you guys talk about, is to increase the positive impact on the people around you. So, I mean, this you're, I'm sure your dad would be just so, so proud of what you created here. I hope so. I like to think so. You know, he he was a fighter, and I mean that in a in a literal and metaphorical sense. And I have people who know me know I'm pretty mild mannered, yeah. um, and you know, so for me to kind of put myself out there is a challenge. It feels scary. So you know, wanting to have positive impact, I had to look at his example a little bit and say, you know, if I if I want to have the impact that he had, yeah. you know, I see I see him as a great man. Uh, I mean, you know, both of us grew up in the 
you know, in the shadow of very formidable debts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And part part of the, you know, it's, it's a blessing and it's also a challenge. So not a curse, but a challenge. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can turn it into a curse, right? right? But but it's it's you know again, it's a problem. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation to say, well, who am I? How can I take the best of this man and be myself? Mm -hmm. So I think I, for me, this book was partly around you know flexing muscles around that a little bit. Yeah, I like it, and also a steadfast champion of the underdog. So you like the underdog, huh? Yeah. 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 Most, um, most, I guess most people really are rooting for the underdog, aren't they? Kind of David versus Goliath. Yeah. And I, I know I like that the, the process that we have, it kind, of, it kind of democratizes power a little bit. Mm. Like you can do this with your boss. You can do this with parents. Like because you're just trying to be helpful, it kind of takes any sort of hierarchy or status out of it. Yeah. I was, I, I picked up my daughter my seven-year-old daughter from school yesterday. And the first thing I was supposed to do was take her to swim practice. She's part of this age group swim program. And of course she got in the car and all of a sudden she kind of slinked down in the seat and she's like, daddy, I'm really tired. I don't want to go to swimming. And I'm like, well, I know how you feel. I've been there a lot. There's been a lot of swim huh? practices <laughs> Or I have not wanted to go. And in fact, your your older brother, Cole, also hasn't wanted to go a lot of the time. But you know what? We kind of came to this agreement that it's a 45-minute swim practice. Let's go and you try it for 15 minutes. And after 15 minutes, if you tell me, Daddy, I, I, I'm tired. I, I don't want to swim any longer. We'll get out of there. But if you're having fun, you just let me know and you can swim the whole time. And of course, she got in the water after... 15 minutes, she was like, I'm having a lot of fun. She was leading the lane. And um, so anyway, but the whole time I was doing that with her, I was thinking about, you know, your book and, you know, and I'm thinking about it now in a lot of my, my conversations with people, because, you know, as you know, I just, I just launched this, this new food line and I've got uh, a lot of people that I'm working with to make uh -huh. this happen, fractional and also full time. And Everything in life is kind of about figuring out ways for people to become your allies and work together to like solve problems and have positive impacts. And anyway, this book couldn't have come at a better time for me. Oh, that's that's awesome to hear. Yeah, I love how you you led with empathy. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, you could you could argue that you know, like if you're the parent of a seven year old, you you kind of tell them what to do a lot of the time, like, you know, yeah, yeah, like at a certain, you know, but the trajectory is like, as they get older, they can make more and more good decisions on their own. And I, I love how you sort of frame that in terms of, you know, confidence in her decision making, you know, and then also, you know, it sounds like you tied it to kind of values, like this is this is this is who we are as a family. Mm -hmm. Like we, we, we give things a try, like that's building a positive identity as well. So yeah, sounds beautiful. Thank you. Let me ask you this. So you wrote, you wrote proteinaholic with, with Garth. What do you say when somebody comes up to you and says, Howie, how in the world do you get your protein eating a bunch of plants? Do you have a, <laughs> do you have a pat answer or does it depend upon the person that's asking it? Yeah. You, I used to have a pat answer. 
What was right? it? Well, first the pat answer was plants have protein. Where do you think gorillas, right? Yeah, yeah. It was the, that line. Then the pat answer became you know, Doug Lyles, right. you know, like, I don't know. I seem to be doing all right. Or human flesh, right? He, <laughs> yeah. he, he did that at a talk once, like yeah. I'm re recycling my own amino acids. Yeah. yeah. Um, now I say, hmm, what, what makes you ask that question? What's behind that question? Ah, I like it. Yeah. Curiosity. Yeah. Cause I, you know, as a coach, I almost never try to convince anybody of anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm much more devious now. I just ask <laughs> questions and get them to convince themselves. So Peter, Peter Bregman, uh, who you wrote this with, you guys have known each other a long time, correct? Yeah. 20, 22 years, 22 years. Um, have you changed him to become plant-based? Is he plant-based? <laughs> he is largely plant-based. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, um, every, every, so, you know, I mean, I'll, I need to let him talk for himself. Um, he does talk a lot about, um, his sugar challenge. Uh -huh. So we, we've, we've been working on that for a while. Uh -huh. Good. Um, Good. I, I would, I would say he's, um, He's plant-based, but not uh, exclusively at this point. Hmm. Hmm. Well, and is that is that in large part because of your relationship? Have you have you influenced him? Have you changed him? <laughs> I think so. I, 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 you have to ask him, but I think so. I uh -huh. think uh, uh -huh. you know every 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 so often he calls it asks the protein question. <laughs> right. Right. I like so, it. You know, because like, like you know, it's it's kind of ingrained. Like there, there are days that I worry about protein just because of something I read. Like, you know, like when the, when, when the culture is in you, you know, like that's largely a point. Like we all have thoughts and we don't have to act on those thoughts. Mm. Right. Like I can still be full of doubts and worries and things and say, Oh, well, you know, it seems to be working so far. I don't have to get rid of the thoughts. I can just sort of be be gentle and compassionate with them and say, oh, they don't have to rule my life. Yeah. Is uh, is your whole family plant-based? Um, to a great extent. My kids are not living at home, so I don't monitor them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if you know this part of my story, but when I, when I first went seriously plant-based with kids, it was right after reading the China study. And I became a tyrant. I was completely <laughs> inappropriate. And like, I did everything that you, that this book tells you not to do. <laughs> yeah. And so I had, I had a lot of repairing to do in the relationship. So I'm, I'm still, I'm still paying. So you're doing a lot of vulnerability and I'm sorry's. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and even still like, you know, when my kids are home and I'll, they'll be sitting and eating something. And, you know, it might be like soy ice cream at four in the afternoon. And I, I, I have to like compose my face. Like, what does a non-judgmental face look like? Like, yeah. how high should this eyebrow be? Yeah. You know, so. I hear it's, you. It's, 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 you know, I mean, you know, things are complicated. Relationships mm -hmm. are hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, no, no doubt about it. Tell me this. Where can people find out more information about, about you? Howard Jacobson, if they're interested. Yeah, so, so I've got the Plant Yourself podcast, which has been uh, going for eight years now. Wow. And that's at plant, plantyourself.com. Um, I think um, I have, I have um, probably as many Esselstons on my podcast as anybody does. I, 
I uh, I got Jody talking about uh, art and and healing as well. Wow. So I, wow. Um, uh, as well as all the usual Estels and stuff subjects. Yeah. Um, and I have a I've started a business side because I also do executive coaching and organizational coaching. Um, and that's it's uh, askhowie.com. Um, and it's you know partly I'm like as I talked about like flexing my my ability to impact the world. It's like not just working with individuals, but working with um, you know organizations and groups that are doing great stuff. So I want to be you know off, offer my skill set to help them as well. Good stuff, Howie. Well, congratulations on cranking out another very special, important book. You can change other people. I read it. I loved it. I'll be implementing this in my life. And I know that my relationships will become much more positive. Awesome. Um, well, Rip, I, I so appreciate this opportunity to, to talk to you and to share this with your audience. I really, I really appreciate your support. Oh, this, listen, this is a, it's a great message and every, all of our listeners can benefit from this. So thanks so much for bringing it out into the universe. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hey, uh, I look forward to seeing you sometime soon. Will you do the uh, send off with me? Peace. Peace. Turn it around. Engine two. Engine two. Keep it plan strong. Plan strong. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Let's remember, people don't resist change. They resist being changed. You can't force it, but you can empathize, express confidence, and provide support and autonomy in your loved one's journey. This book is a wonderful resource to help, and we'll be sure to link it up in the show notes on the episode page at plantstrongpodcast.com. In the meantime, be sure to keep it plant strong. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.